Thank you for listening to this audio message from Christ Fellowship Leesville. We exist to make disciples for the glory of Jesus. We pray God uses this message to help you grow in your walk with Christ. To learn more about Christ Fellowship, please visit us online at ChristFellowshipNC.org. Well, if you would, uh, turn your copy of God's Word to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 7 this morning. And as you're turning there, we'll be dismissing our children to our children's class. And so those who may be participating in that class can make your way to the back room there. And our volunteer leaders will be there to greet you and to meet you and to teach you God's Word uh, during this time of service as well. As I said, we are moving into Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7 for the purposes of this sermon. Uh, But I was challenged by one of the commentaries I read in my studying, which said, even though you probably won't preach all of chapter 11 at one time, uh, you must read it out loud uh, in its entirety to capture the full sense of what the Lord is accomplishing through his word in Hebrews chapter 11. So I know it's a long chapter, but I think it will be worth our time and effort to do that together this morning. So I'm going to read all of Hebrews chapter 11, and then we will pray and ask for the Lord's help, and then we will look at, Lord willing, verses 1 through 7 in particular. So you may want to follow along in your Bibles, uh, and maybe you just want to listen to God's Word read over you this morning. But let me read for us the entire chapter of Hebrews 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God." By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. 
These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured at seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms Enforced justice, attained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Let's pray together. 
Father, we are thankful first and foremost for the finished work of Christ this morning. We are thankful that even though every single one of us, myself included, uh, we, we don't deserve to be here this morning. We don't deserve even the rain that you have caused to fall on the earth this morning to provide sustenance and therefore nourishment for our bodies. You have been kind and good and patient with us. And all of that kindness and goodness was bought for us by Jesus on the cross. And so, Father, we proclaim together this morning that Christ is our only hope, his righteous life, his sufficient death, and his powerful resurrection, his glorious ascension where he now sits at your right hand, interceding for us even right now this very moment. Our only hope is in Christ this morning. And, Father, we're thankful that you have sent your spirit to dwell in us to give us this very faith that we just read about. Father, I pray that as we are in Hebrews chapter 11 this morning and in the weeks to come, that you would encourage our hearts. I pray that you would use this chapter for the very thing you intend to use it for, which is to help us endure by faith. Father, I pray that you would fix our eyes on things above today and in the weeks to come. I pray that you would give us great confidence and assurance and conviction of the realities of eternal things. And through that assurance of faith, Father, I pray that you would give us boldness and courage to live for the glory of Christ. Father, only your word by the power of your spirit can accomplish such, such things. And so we pray that you would do those very things within us this morning. And so, Father, I feel a particular burden this morning. And I pray that you would give me help. I know I pray that every week, but Father, once again, we just pray for your help. I pray for your help to proclaim the truth of your word, the truth of your character, the truth of who you are, and I pray that you would use it for your glory and for the good of your people. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we move into Hebrews 11, I think it's really important. It, it's always important for us to keep the big picture of any book we're in in mind. But I think it's particularly important for this chapter because Hebrews chapter 11 is one of the most well-known chapters in the Bible. Some of you may not be as familiar with it, and if that's true, that's fine. But for uh, Lord willing, you'll become very familiar with it in the weeks to come. But for many of you, it is a well-known chapter. And because of that, we often think of it in isolation as just this chapter that's floating out there on its own. And so I think it's important that we anchor it in the book of Hebrews, understand why it's here and what the author of Hebrews and therefore what God is intending to accomplish through what is being communicated in chapter 11. Of course, we will see that each and every week as we make our, through, make our way through this chapter section by section. But let's just be sure we remind ourselves once more. I know we've done this for a number of weeks, but kind of get a running start into Hebrews, just a quick summary of where we have been and how chapter 11 fits into that. So just remember that big picture purpose of the book of Hebrews, this, this letter or even sermon, one could argue, that was written to these Hebrew people was written to encourage a church of first century Jews who had come to Christ. These were Jewish people who were some of the first Jews to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And they were struggling 
They had faced hardships. We just read about that last week at the end of Hebrews 10. They have been mocked and publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Many of them have been thrown in prison. Uh, because of that, some of them have gone to show compassion and to care for those in prison, to provide for them so that they could survive while they were in prison. And because of that, because of their association with those who were put in prison, their property was plundered. It was taken away. Everything they owned was taken from them. And yet Hebrews chapter 10 uh, verse 34 says that they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property when that first happened. That was early on when they had come to faith in Christ. But now some time had gone by. Affliction had risen again. Distress had arisen again. Persecution had arisen again. And they are once again struggling to maintain their faith in Christ. They're looking back to their old ways, their old community, their old uh, uh, friends and neighbors who were still in that Jewish community and they weren't suffering the way that they were and they were tempted just to go back. Life would be so much easier if they just went back to how life was before they had come to faith in Christ. That's what they were thinking anyway, it seems. And so the author of Hebrews writes this book to them to say, you don't want to go back to who you were before Jesus. Jesus is superior to all things that you had before. Jesus is superior to the angels. He's sovereign over them. He created them just like he created the rest of the universe. It was created through Christ, for Christ. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is more glorious than Moses. He's more glorious than the sacrificial system. He's more glorious than all those things. He is now the final great high priest, the forever great high priest. He is the final complete and all-sufficient sacrifice. When he laid down his life on the cross, he sat down because he was finished with the work. There was nothing left to be done, Hebrews. Therefore, if you turn away from him now, there no longer remains a sacrifice. There is no other sacrifice that can forgive you of sin apart from Jesus Christ. So if you walk away from him, if you reject him, if you refuse to place your faith in Christ and to live for him, then you will remain in your sins. This is the warning we saw a few weeks ago in the middle of Hebrews chapter 10. And so, you know, just to remind us again, all these glorious things the author of Hebrews has been telling us about Jesus. And then he comes to this transition, kind of this grand theological conclusion, moving into these exhortations and commands in the middle of chapter 10, verse 19. He says, therefore, because of, what, because of all that we have learned about Jesus and the glories of who he is and what he has accomplished for us, therefore, Hebrews 10, 19 says, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And therefore, we must, verse 22, draw near with a true heart. Therefore, we must, verse 23, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. We therefore must, verse 24, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, this day of judgment that is coming and that is on its way, because, verse 26, if we don't do these things, if we don't draw near, if we don't hold fast the confession of our hope, if we, don't, if we don't intentionally commit ourselves to a local body of believers, 
then we risk falling into habitual, unrepentant sin, sinning deliberately, verse 26 says, and after having received the knowledge of truth, and therefore, verse 27 says, what we should come to expect is judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And if we are to avoid that fate that these warnings laid out for us that we saw a few weeks ago, the author of Hebrews tells us in verse 35 that we must not throw away our confidence. You see that there, chapter 10, verse 35. Don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance. We must endure. Saving faith, by definition, is enduring faith. And then in 1037, he quotes from Habakkuk chapter 2, and he says, Yet a little while, and the coming one will come. That day will draw near. The coming one will come, and he will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And so there is a lot of truth captured in verse 38 that verse 11, uh, that chapter 11 explodes with meaning, right? There in verse 38, we see that those who have faith are the righteous ones. Those who have faith are declared to be righteous by God. We also see that those who do not have faith, those who shrink back, God takes no pleasure in them, which means he does take pleasure in those who have faith. We're going to see that in chapter 11. And then chapter 10 concludes, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith. And I would add in context, those who have enduring faith and preserve their souls. And so chapter 10 concludes with a hanging question. What is that faith? Right? This is really important. God is not pleased with those who do not have faith. Those who have faith are declared to be righteous. If, if our soul is going to preserve, then we need to have enduring faith. So what does that faith look like? What is that faith? And the author of Hebrews in chapter 11 is seeking to answer that question for us. And he's going to answer it in just a factual, straightforward way in uh, verse 1 and 2. And then the rest of the chapter, he's giving example after example after example of those, uh, I said, ch of chapter 11, beginning in verse 3, example after example after example of those who have lived by faith and how God responded to their faith so that we can be encouraged to know that if we live by faith, how God will respond to us. We will see the example of their faith in the promises of God that gave them hope to live courageously and boldly for the sake of the gospel. And God wants to do that within us as well so that we can endure for the glory of his name. But of course, ultimately, I just want to remind us, and this is really important for us to see, Hebrews 11 ultimately is not about these men and women of faith. Yes, it is about them, but ultimately, it's not about them. It's about the God they believed in. It's about the promises of God that they fixed their hope in. And so they're laid before us as an example to follow because of the faith they had and the sovereign promises of the God 
of the Bible. And this faith sustained them and preserved their souls and drew the attention of God. And he was pleased with them. So the outline of our passage this morning, verses 1 through 7, is is fairly simple. We're first going to seek to answer the question, what is faith? What is faith? And we'll, Lord willing, see that in verses 1 and 2. And then this morning, we're going to see the first four examples of what that faith looks like uh, in the lives of God's people. We'll see it uh, for all of us. We have to have faith in the act of creation. Then we'll see the faith of Abel, the faith of Enoch, and the faith of Noah. And then in the future weeks, we'll continue just to walk through Hebrews 11 and see more and more examples of the faith of the people of old, of these Old Testament saints, and how we can seek to follow their example. But this morning, let's begin with the key question here in verses 1 and 2. What is faith? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 and 2, just to look at it again, says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. The people of old doesn't mean the old people, right? It means the people of the Old Testament, right? The Old Testament saints, the people of old. So it starts in verse 1 with two simple statements, right? Two simple statements. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and it is the conviction of things not seen. Now, in some ways, those two statements sound almost exactly alike. But there are distinctions between those two statements. First of all, something hoped for refers to something in the future, right? Something that is, we are awaiting, something that has not yet occurred, right? God's promises. We have the assurance of what is hoped for, what will come to us in the future one day. While the conviction of things not seen would certainly include things that are in the future, right? We haven't seen them yet, but it can also include things in the past that we haven't witnessed with our eyes that we have to trust in and believe in. And he gives an example of that in verse 3, talking about the creation of the world. And we'll, we'll get into that later. But that's one key distinction, the assurance that things hope for in the future, but also just the conviction of things not seen. And there are things we don't see right now as we're sitting here that are happening all around us. There are things that we don't see because we weren't present when God spoke the world into creation. There are lots of things that we don't see with our physical eyes that we have to accept by faith. It is something the, the, the human eye can't detect. And therefore, part of the point of verse 1 is that faith gives us access to those things. It allows us to understand the things that are hoped for, to believe in the things that are hoped for, to be assured of them, to be convinced of the things that cannot be seen. I mean, there are things all around us that our bodies can't perceive, but we know they're there. Right? Just scientifically speaking, a, a, a healthy, typical human can see objects. We can sense sound waves. We can uh, feel temperature on our skin and in our bodies. But there are lots of other things that we know they're there, but without special instruments, we simply can't see them. There are certain wavelengths of light that you and I on our own cannot perceive, right? Infrared light, we can't see it. UV light, we can't see it unless there's some instrument that is given to us that allows us to see it. But the fact that you can't see it with your physical eyes 
doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It means you need something beyond your natural abilities, your natural capacity to know that it's there. And the same way this verse is saying that faith gives us access to certainties about realities that are in the future, it gives us access to certainties and conviction about things that we can't see with our eyes. You know, it reminds me of one of my favorite Old Testament stories when Elisha is fleeing from uh, an army. They're coming after him, and uh, his servant is with him, and they're running away uh, from the army. They're camping out overnight, and the servant is absolutely terrified, right? Can you imagine being just you and another guy, and an entire army is coming after you? That's a terrifying experience, Hopefully none of us will ever know what that's like. But that's what was happening to them. And the servant's really confused because Elisha is at peace. He's calm. He's not really bothered by an army surrounding the city where they're sleeping overnight. And so he prays to God and ask God to open the eyes of his servant to allow his servant to see what he can see. And God answers that prayer and opens the eyes of his servant and all of a sudden he sees what Elijah has seen and what he sees is the mountain surrounded by chariots of fire, by the army of God there to protect them and to defend them against this human army that surrounds them. You see, Elisha was giving, given physical eyes that could see it. His servant was given physical eyes to see it. But before he could see it, it didn't mean that it didn't exist. It was there all along. And so what verse 1 is saying to us is that faith gives us assurance and conviction and confidence in future things and in things that we cannot see right now. Faith allows us to fix our hope on something that has not yet happened. But through faith, we can live with confidence that it will. Faith allows us to live with full conviction of a reality no one be able to lay their eyes on. But it's that unique combination of being able to be assured of what is to come and convinced of what we can't see that allows us to endure the difficult days that we experience here and now. Because the difficulties of, these, of this life, the difficulties that these Hebrew Christians were going through can very much be seen with the human eye. It can very much be felt by the human body, right? Being tortured and imprisoned and mocked and being exposed, publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. It can all be felt and it can all be seen. But faith gives us sight beyond that experience and fixes our hope on eternal things, which is exactly what happened for these Hebrew believers, as you see there earlier in chapter 10, verse 34. They joyfully accepted the plundering of their property because they knew that they had a better possession and an abiding one. It was because of their assurance and what they were hoping for and the conviction of eternal things that they were able to endure and joyfully accept the fact that their property was taken from them. Now, as we dig into verse 1 here, I just want to acknowledge that there is a fairly significant debate 
about how to translate these words in verse 1. So you may have a different translation in front of you this morning, and it may have some uh, significantly different language. So the ESV, which is what I have, the English Standard Version, says faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Some other translations, or like the classical King James Version, says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And a lot of ink has been spilled over these two words, right? Commentaries spend most of their time in verses 1 through 7 talking about which of these, how we should translate these words, which way we should go. Should it be substance or assurance? Should it be conviction or evidence? Uh, A lot of pastors spend a lot of time in their sermons, almost the entire time, talking about which of these words it should be. And I'm not saying it's not important. It is absolutely important. But my fear is if we get bogged down in that debate, we're going to lose the big picture realities that God is intending to point us to. Because ultimately, as you look at these words and you try to figure it out, they all end up landing in the same place. Which is even if it is the substance and not uh, literally the word substance and not the assurance of things hoped for. Do you know what the substance of things hoped for gives us? Assurance. Do you know what the evidence, do you know what the evidence of unseen things gives us? A conviction that they're real. So you end up landing in the exact same spot. So I just want to acknowledge that this morning, but ultimately say it doesn't change the application of these verses. It doesn't change the ultimate meaning of these verses. That faith gives us assurance, confidence of what is hoped for and convinces us of things not seen. In fact, the word conviction literally means like evidence in a trial. In the Bible, every place that word is used uh, in the Greek, it is used to talk about rebuking someone in their sin, which is interesting because what it means is you're trying to convince someone They've rebelled against God. And so faith convinces us of what we cannot see with our eyes. We live as if these things are absolutely true. That's what the Bible wants to say to us. That is what faith is. We must live our lives as if these things hoped for are reality. They are the substance. They are actually what we are going to receive because that's what faith does for us. It convinces us that these things are real, both what is hoped for and what cannot be seen. As believers, we don't live as if these things might be true, right? That's not what the word hope in the Bible means. It doesn't mean, well... You know, like we use the word hope that way. Someone says, I'm going to come see you tomorrow. And you'll say, well, I hope so. Right? You're like, well, yeah, we'll see if you do that or not. No, the word hope in the Bible means it's an absolute. You hope in it. You're convinced of it. You are assured that it is going to happen. And so let's just pause here for a moment and recognize that this is one of the many reasons why the Christian life is so challenging. Because we ought to be living lives that make no sense to the watching world because they can't see what we see. They can't know what we know. Right? Because they don't have faith. Faith gives us access to be 
assured of things hoped for in the future, to be convinced of things that cannot be seen. And so our lives ought to make no sense to the watching world. Right? It's why the watching world would often look at us and say, why would you want to get up early on a Sunday morning? Right? That's another day of the weekend. Why do you want to get up early and go through all the hassle if you have kids in the home of getting them ready and you having to get yourself ready and get out the door early in the morning to go gather with a bunch of sinners, right? Why do you want to do that? Why do you want to take another evening out of your week to meet with a group of people from that church, right? Uh, your week's already busy enough. You got, if you have kids, sports going on, you've got work, you might be working late. Why in the world would you take another evening to do that? Why would you take another evening to come and teach ESL here or, or to come on a work night on Thursday night to help uh, fix things up here at the church? Why would you give a portion of your income away to the church? Couldn't you use that for family vacations and to save up for retirement? Why would you give your money away to a church? Why are you able to have peace and comfort and even joy in the midst of terrible and tragic circumstances? And of course, our answer to all of those questions is because by God's grace, we've been given faith to see that Jesus is worth all of it. He's worth all of it. And it's more glorious than any other thing we could possibly have if we gave up on him. And it's that very reality that drives us to do these things that cannot be seen without the eyes of faith. Faith assures us by God's grace of these things that are hoped for and convinces us of things that we cannot see. It should be that we need to be ready to give a defense for the hope that we have 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone ask, who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Why are they asking you for the reason for the hope that is in you? Because they can't see it. They can't understand it. But through faith, God gives us eyes to see Just a few weeks back, I'm sure you're familiar with it. If not, I'll tell you a little bit about it. But just a few weeks back, the entire nation was kind of taken aback and put on pause and was talking about what happened in the Buffalo Bills game when the uh, safety for the Buffalo Bills, DeMar Hamlin, collapsed on the football field. It had a cardiac arrest there in the middle of the game, collapsed. They had to do CPR twice. They resuscitated him. He went out again. They resuscitated him again. Huge delay on the field, a tragedy. Praise be to God that he seems to be okay. CPR, defib defibrillators there on site saved his life. The hospital was able to uh, uh, save him. Praise be to God. But in those moments, everybody thought that it was over, that DeMar was dead. And it forced lots of people to think about death and eternal things. And you had sports network personalities on ESPN and on Fox Sports and other outlets just struggling to know what to say. 
But there are pockets of believers in those networks, and there's lots of interesting things you can look up of, of uh, you know, Dan Orlovsky praying on air when that happened on ESPN and other things that happened. But what I want to point out this morning is something that happened on Fox Sports because I think it perfectly illustrates what faith does for us that the world can't see or understand. Two well-known personalities on Fox Sports, Nick Wright and Chris Broussard, they've been together for many, many years on that network. Chris Broussard is a, is a committed believer, committed Christian. And Nick Wright was fumbling, trying to figure out what to say on air after DeMar Hamlin had collapsed. And this is what Nick Wright said to Chris Broussard. Quote, Two of the closest people in the world to me, my wife and you, my broadcast partner for years, are deeply religious people. And I'm not. And it made me a little envious in that moment and since then that I don't have that foundation of, I don't want to say, but a greater purpose or a higher power or something. Because I feel like at times like this, when there's an inexplicable tragedy, you're almost flailing about like, why? Why did this happen to this kid in this moment? You see, in that moment, Nick recognized that Chris had something he didn't have. And it's heartbreaking, though, that even in that moment, Nick didn't ultimately want what Chris had. And even in that moment, he didn't even want to admit to a higher power. He, you, you quote it again. He says, I don't want to say a greater purpose or a higher power, but that's what I see you have. It's what's getting you through moments like this. It's, Chris, what I've seen you get through many difficult moments in your life. But all Nick was left with was flailing about trying to make sense of it all. But you see, we, on the other hand, through faith, through faith, we can be assured of the promises of God that await us. We can be assured of the eternal things and the better possession and the abiding possession that Christ has given us through his death on the cross. We can be convinced of the unseen things where God is at work all around us in ways we can't even measure. We can be convinced of Romans 8, 28 that says all things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And we can rarely see it, right? We can rarely see how it's working or how it's happening or what he's doing, but we can know that he is. And because of that, we can live boldly and courageously for the glory of Christ. It is this faith, this kind of faith that pleases God and of which verse 2 says the people of old received their commendation from God. They lived not possessing what they hoped in. Uh, uh, they lived only having to trust what they couldn't see and God commended them for their faith. Therefore, he is calling us to see their lives as an encouragement to us to live faithfully and endure in our own faith so that we don't shrink back and find ourselves destroyed, as Hebrews 10, 39 says. And so let's begin looking at these examples of faith. We may not even get through these four, these first four this morning, but that's okay. Let's just begin and see what the Lord does. So the first example of faith is simply faith in the creation of the universe. Now, 
Verse 3 is odd in many ways because verse 2 says, For by it the people of old received their commendation. And then verse 3 doesn't yet start talking about the people of old. The author says, By faith we understand. He's talking about himself and those to whom he's writing. But ultimately I think it's a big picture. We saying all who believe in God, we, all of us, you, me, the people of old, all of us, verse 3, Understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. He's saying, look, even in the very act of creation and our confidence that that happened, it can only be received by faith because it is something that cannot be seen. And that's true for many reasons. It's true, first of all, because it happened before anybody was there, right? We're a result of creation, so we can't see creation. It is an unseen reality. Also, the Bible confirms here and in other places that he created the universe out of nothing. He spoke and it came into being. Therefore, it's not something that can be seen. It's something that can be heard. God declares it, and it is. There it is, and it must be accepted by faith. This is why ultimately science can't answer all the questions we want to have answered. Right? Science is limited to the natural world. What can be observed, tested, and repeated for verification. And I'm thankful for science. I was a science major in college, right? I'm thankful for it. I'm not here to vilify it. But God speaking the world into existence can't be observed, it can't be repeated, and it can't be tested. It is an unseen reality that we must accept by faith. From the very beginning, from the days of Adam and Eve, they had to accept that that reality by faith. It is by faith that we understand that that is how God brought the world into existence. It is being convinced of what cannot be seen. And I think the reason verse 3 is here, well, I think there's two reasons. First of all, chapter 11 moves chronologically through the Old Testament. So creation is the place to start, right? He moves chronologically through it. But, But the second reason I think it's here is that I think the author wants us to see that from the very beginning, humanity's relationship with God has always been based on faith. From the very beginning, we're able to walk. Right? Adam and Eve were able to see things that you and I don't get to see. They were able to walk with God in the cool of the garden, right? But even then, they had to have faith to believe in how the world came into being. That it was created out of nothing. That humanity's relationship, even before the fall, has always been about faith. They had to trust what they couldn't see. That God was the one who brought it all into existence. And the author of Hebrews wants to continue to prove that throughout history, what God has desired in humanity is faith. And in fact, it even seems that in these first few examples we're going to look at with Abel and Enoch and Noah in particular, that he wants to prove that as you look back in the Old Testament, and what we're going to do this, as you look at their lives and what the Old Testament says about them, not one time does the Old Testament say they had faith. 
Not once is the word faith used in relation to them in the Old Testament. And so I think the author of Hebrews is anticipating the cynic who says, well, there's some guys in the Old Testament that God did some good things for, and it says nothing about them having faith in God. So why is faith so important if those guys didn't have faith and yet God was pleased with them? And so what the author of Hebrews is going to do is show us from the words of the Old Testament why we should assume and know that they did in fact have faith even though it doesn't use that word. And you're going to see that that's the argument he's making as we move through these examples. And so let's look first at Abel's faith. Let's look at Abel's faith. You see that there in verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Now, it's almost true that verse 4 says more about Abel than the entire Old Testament says about Abel. Right? We don't know a lot about Abel in Genesis. It's a very brief account. It happens in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Cain and Abel are born to Eve uh, after the fall. Uh, there in Genesis 4, verses 1 through 5. Uh, Cain is a keeper of the ground. Abel is a keeper of the sheep, uh, Genesis 4 tells us. And then they both bring a sacrifice to God. Verse 3 of Genesis 4, in the course of time, uh, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. And that infuriated Cain. And he became enraged with jealousy that Abel's offering was accepted by God and his was not. And ultimately, the rest of the narrative is dealing with Cain and his murder, the murder of his brother Abel. But what the author of Hebrews wants to focus on is verse 4 of Genesis chapter 4. Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. So do you see that there in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4? By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. Now, how do we know that God commended Abel? Genesis doesn't say that he commended Abel. Well, what does Hebrews 11, 4 say? God commended him by accepting his gifts. And so what the author of Hebrews does, look, this is, this is deep exposition of God's word by the author of Hebrews teaching us about the Old Testament. And this is what the author of Hebrews sees. Abel's offering was regarded by God. It was accepted by God. That means his gift being accepted that God commended him. God, if God commended him, that means he commended him as righteous. And if he commended Abel as righteous, therefore Abel had faith. That's the argument he's making. 
And he's making it based on what we read earlier at the end of Hebrews chapter 10, the quote from Habakkuk. What did Habakkuk say that's quoted in Hebrews 10, 38? My righteous one shall live by faith. So if someone is declared to be righteous or shown to be righteous in the Old Testament, we are to automatically assume that they are a man or woman of faith. Therefore, we can know, even though Genesis chapter 4 doesn't use the word faith, that Abel was a man of faith. And that the reason his offering was accepted was not because it was an animal sacrifice. It was accepted because he believed in God. Because he trusted him. Because he had faith in him. And as a result, the end of verse 4 of Hebrews 11 says that Though he died, he still speaks that his testimony carries on today and tells us that when we come before God and worship, what matters is our heart. What matters is are we expressing faith in God? Are we assured of the things hoped for? Are we convinced of the things not seen? Abel lost his life, but God preserved his soul. Right? That's what the end of Hebrews chapter 10 says to us. Those who have faith and preserve their souls. Well, listen, we don't have time to get into Enoch and Noah this morning. I knew this would probably happen, but it happened. So the good thing about chapter 11 is we're just going to work through one you know, section at a time, person by person. And so we'll get to the point we get to each week. But let me just, as we conclude, highlight some important things from Enoch's life in verse 5 that we will get into into detail next week. Again, more is said about Enoch here than is said about him in the Bible. Uh, Enoch is, his life is mentioned in a list of what you and I would typically call the boring genealogies of the Old Testament, right? So-and-so had so-and-so, they lived to be couple hundred years old in that particular genealogy and they died. Next guy lived to be this old, had a son. After he had a son, he lived X number of years and then he died, right? On and on and on. But then comes Enoch right in the middle of that in Genesis chapter 5. And it simply says in Genesis 5, 23 and 24, thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Now, we'll get into next week why the author of Hebrews, when he sees Enoch walk with God, what he sees is that Enoch pleased God, right? You see that at the end of verse 5 of Hebrews 11. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. But what I want to conclude with is verse 6. Without faith... It is impossible to please him, meaning God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This was the failure of Adam and Eve in the garden. They did not believe that God was a rewarder of those who seek him. Instead, they listened to the voice of Satan and they were convinced 
by Satan's temptation that that tree in the middle of the garden, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, was God keeping a good thing from them. It was God keeping a reward from them. He told Eve, look, God just doesn't want you to have this set of knowledge that you really are going to want to have. And so Adam and Eve listened. Eve listened and her husband who was with her listened as well. And they ate of the fruit and refused to believe that God was the rewarder of those who seek him. Listen, friends, part of faith is believing in the goodness and the benevolence and the generosity and the grace and mercy of God. There is no faith in God, according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, apart from believing that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And that is no more evident than in the cross of Jesus Christ. He is a rewarder of those who seek him Romans 8, verses 31 and 32 says to us about the cross and what God has accomplished for us through the cross. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see, in the cross, God wants us to see the evidence that he is a generous and giving God. And he has given us that which nothing greater can be offered. His eternal, glorious son, through whom the world was created, who upholds the universe by the word of his power, took on flesh and laid down his life and suffered on the cross, taking the wrath that you and I deserved in our place so that we would not have to face the wrath that we fully deserve for all eternity. And if he has done that, how will he not also with him graciously give us everything that we need for all eternity? So listen, brothers and sisters, if we're going to have enduring faith, part of that has to be looking to the reward. Trusting that he wants nothing but the best for you and I for all eternity. And when we do that, when we order our lives by God being a rewarding God who has an eternal inheritance awaiting for us in the new heavens and the new earth with eternity full of pleasure and joy and satisfaction in Christ alone, when we fully are convinced of that, when we have the assurance of that hope and the conviction of that thing that cannot be seen, it will radically transform our lives. And we will live with boldness for the glory of Christ until the day we die. May God make it so in our lives as we journey through these examples of men and women of faith in the coming weeks. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have given us faith to see. Father, we're heartbroken for this world that gropes around in darkness who have their eyes blinded to see these realities, who do not know the glorious peace and comfort that can be brought to them by trusting in what Christ has done for them. 
And so, Father, we thank you that you have opened our eyes to see, that you've given us faith to believe and to trust in Christ, that you have opened our eyes to understand your word and the glorious promises you hold out for your people, the glorious promise that you're working all things for our good, that you are for us, you're going to graciously give us all things, and you proved it to us by sending Christ to die in our place on the cross. And Father, I pray that we would not one moment of our lives take that good gift for granted, that you have awakened us to be able to see such glorious realities. And Father, I pray that it would drive us to evangelism, to remember that those around us are living in darkness, and that even though our lives may not make sense to them, and they may not know that they want what we have, they desperately need it. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us courage and boldness to speak the truth of the gospel to those around us. And we plead with you and beg with you that you would open their eyes, that you would give them this faith that they might also be assured of these things that we can hope for, that they would be convinced and convicted of the things that are unseen and that you would change them by it, that you would be glorified through their lives. Father, I pray that you would increase our assurance and our confidence in your word, in your promises, and in the eternal things and realities that await us. And may that confidence and faith give us strength and boldness to live for your glory all the days of our lives. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.